This scripture reading is from Mark chapter 5. It's going to be the text for Carl's message today. All right. I'm getting older, so I can't see. <laughs> when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talatha koum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Before we plunge into that passage of scripture. Um, there's another piece of family, uh, family stuff we need to, we need to talk about and, and do together. Um, some of you may already be aware of this, and, uh, um, but some of you may not. So I, I just want to make sure that, uh, that you hear this. As we talk about this, I, I want to just tell you this first. Psalm 34:18 has just a, a beautiful sentence to it. It says, um, the, the, Lord, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Um, one of, the, one of the, the truisms about church life is that uh, pastors are people too. And... Uh, Today, our pastor, who's always there for us, um, our pastor and his wife Emily and the kids um, are going through one of those broken-hearted, crushed-in-spirit moments, and they, they, they need our, um, 
our love and support for them, uh, perhaps in ways they, they may never again. Emily uh, lost her father yesterday unexpectedly. His, um, her, her father found, her, her mother found her father uh, in the garden, working the garden, um, and he had already passed away. Um, and the shock for them is immense. Um, I'm sure you understand the pain and the heartache that they're going through right now. Um, and so I, I just want to say this to you. you. You are a kind and loving and caring group of believers. And uh, as we uh, are the church together, um, let, let's remember that Josh and Emily today and the kids uh, who uh, lost their grandpa um, need us, and they need us to ask Jesus um, to wrap his arms around them. We need, as we were singing earlier, we just need to speak the name of Jesus over their family. So before we plunge into this text, would, would you give me the privilege of just uh, voicing a prayer? But as I do that, I just invite you to not just listen to me pray, but uh, cry out to God on behalf of these, this family that we love and who takes such good care of us. Would you, would you pray with me? Our Father, we're so grateful for Josh and Emily and the kids and um, uh, the, the joy that it's been to, uh, to grow together with them as uh, together we, um, we focus our hearts on Jesus and Today, they are brokenhearted, their spirits are crushed. And so we ask that you wrap uh, your loving arms, your strong, loving, fatherly arms around them. May they uh, just kind of crawl up into your lap today and, and call you Abba, Father, Dad. And may they sense you meeting every one of their needs. Give them supernatural strength to, to make the plans they have to make ahead of this time. And um, we just pray, God, that somehow in the midst of that kind of, uh, that kind of, of awful moment, they would get a glimpse of your glory. Remind them that Emily's father is in a great place right now. He he loved you and is with you. And may that hope drive them forward in these moments of pain and heartache. We especially pray for Emily's mom, who might, uh, well, as we know, be so much in shock that it's even hard to assimilate all that's happened uh, from finding him to, to trying to deal with all of the details. And as things just kind of flow into her life, uh, give her supernatural strength, amazing comfort, and fill her mind and heart with the wonder of the Christian hope uh, for her husband. We are grateful we can bring this group, this family that we love, place them in your arms and know that as we speak Jesus over their family, you are there in the midst of them doing what they need you to do in Christ's name. Amen. That's kind of a, a, a difficult piece to make a, a transition uh, to, a, to a sermon, but we're going we're gonna to try anyway, okay? So uh, 
uh, we'll just continue in a, in a spirit of worship and prayer. We, 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 we acknowledge what's happened in our midst, and uh, we're grateful to Jesus that uh, the one that we're going to talk about is right in their midst as well. Uh, this, this passage is an incredibly great story that um, demonstrates for us so much about what it means for us to really focus our hearts on this, this, this loving Jesus, this powerful loving Jesus who transforms situations that seem completely out of control. As, as we've just talked about, um, some of the material that we'll, we'll be looking at, life, life happens. It happens in the midst of church life. It happens to believers. It happens to unbelievers. Unpredictable, sometimes scary stuff crosses our paths and and one of the things that that happens when that happens is that we we tend to be uh, um, distracted by what's happening to the point that we sometimes forget who's got our backs who is for us and not against us as i was looking through this story and as as john and mimi were uh getting us back in touch with it i there, there are some things about it, just to, to understand it, just to, we want to walk through this passage just, just real briefly, um, and then look at some of the things that this might mean for each one of us. I, I don't know about you, but um, for me, uh, I, I get distracted easily. Um, I, I, was, I was 48 years old when uh, my doctor told me that I had ADHD. Um, that was a good six months ago. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I, it explained a lot. It was an eye-opening experience. Um, and and, and I, I, I get distracted easily. Um, you know, so uh, if... Uh, um, if something comes along that I hadn't expected, it doesn't really, it just has to be a bird flying past the window in my office and, and I'm, I'm somewhere else. I'm, I'm in the next county all of a sudden. But, but it occurs to me as I, I realize what happens to me when circumstances around me change or when things get kind of, of chaotic and out of, out of control. One of the things that happens to me is I get distracted, right? But it, it occurs to me that um, some of us don't have the ADD thing so much as we have this, this thing I want to call SDD. It, it, it's spiritual deficit disorder. You know, when, when life happens, when circumstances around us seem a little bit out of control, when we get sidelined side by something, or when, when circumstances maybe uh, derail our plans. Sometimes we're at our worst when that happens. But, but when we get surprised, when painful things happen, sometimes even when good things happen, what what we, we tend to do is we tend to look at all the stuff that's happening, and that's where our focus goes. And so if it's a problem, we try to solve it. If, if, it's, a, if it's a good thing, we, we, we sometimes forget to be grateful to the one who provided the good thing. If it's painful, we try, we try to find the hurt, that, we try, try to find a way to overcome the hurt. And so the circumstances actually serve to just distract our focus just enough that we get a little distracted from Jesus, the one actually we need the most in those distracted moments. Um, I, I love this story. There, there's, a, there's this great big crowd, right? 
They're, they're, uh, they're following him. They've heard of all these incredible stories. And then uh, one of the rulers of the synagogue, it says in the NIV that we read together, one of the synagogue leaders, the, uh, the actual position that, that Jairus held was he was the ruler of the local synagogue. And what that really meant in some ways, if you want to kind of put it in our terms, he was the worship pastor. He was in charge of all of the, the, the worship activities and all of the stuff that went, went, went into the, the, the worship that took place in the synagogue. And so he was, he was pretty a high-ranking Jewish official. And that matters because high-ranking officials don't chase after itinerant carpenter preachers that are being opposed by all of the religious leaders of their day. But yet this, this, this ruler of the synagogue, this, this, this man... Has, has all of a sudden discovered that life happens to rulers of the synagogue too. And, 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 and he tells the story, he said, my daughter, my little girl, you know, and, and all of a sudden all of the dads in the room, you know, that have girls, our hearts begin to melt because we know that that's a place that touches us profoundly. And, and my, 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 my little girl, she's, she's dying. But, but the thing is, when, when you look at the text, what happens is that when he saw Jesus, the first thing he does is he, as he falls at his feet. And so don't miss, don't miss the, um, the power of that moment when he's, he's focusing as much of his heart on Jesus as he can in the midst of that struggle. And, so, so he, and, and, and then he, the text says he pleaded earnestly. When in the world, when in the world does a ruler of the synagogue plead earnestly? earnestly in the presence of this preacher turned uh, rabbi who has followers now but is uh, really disturbing the religious leaders and he pleads earnestly when he falls at his feet and he tells him his story and so um, the text just says very simply so they went with him right well can can, can you kind of imagine that picture, just use, use that, that elementary age, that elementary school age capacity to imagine. And you've got, you've got this important man in the community who's already kind of broken all kinds of protocol, who's, who's done all the stuff that nobody would have ever expected him to do. And, and there he is in, in the midst of that crowd, and, and, and he begs Jesus to come. And so Jesus says he's going with him. And so there he goes. And all of a sudden, those, those disciples of Jesus are following after him, and their, their jaws are set in determination. They, they're going to go do this great thing. They're going to go see him raise up this this, 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 this sick little girl. The crowd's right behind them, pressing in on them. But then something incredible happens. All of a sudden, Jesus stops and he says, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Who touched me? And of course, the disciples being a little uh, less astute than um, they ought to be sometimes, kind of like us when we have our spiritual deficit disorder kicking in. They say, you know, look, Jesus, we're in this, this great old big crowd here. There's, there's tons of people all around you, and yet you're going to ask us who, who, who touched you? And he said, no, no, wait a minute. I felt something happen. Something happened that was different. Power went out for me. Now, I, I suspect that Jesus already knew who touched him. But he wanted to ask the question because he wanted to give this person a chance. And we read in this text that this person was this woman. This woman who had 
had had this, this, this problem with bleeding for 12 years, lost everything she had trying to get well, but she had lost more than her money. More than anything, she had lost her dignity. She had lost her capacity to have relationship. She was designated unclean because of her condition. Now, for you and me, that doesn't sound all that bad. We just take a shower. But, it, but in her day, to be, to, be, to be designated unclean had all kinds of, of ramifications for the quality of her life. It basically meant she had no quality. She couldn't go to worship. She couldn't be around people. She should never have been in that crowd. She wasn't allowed to be there. She was, she was risking everything by being there. But then she does something even worse. She reaches up. This unclean woman reaches up and touches this rabbi. Well, first of all, she's a woman. Women, don't, women just aren't allowed to do that in that culture. And then, all the, then you remember that she's unclean and she touches this rabbi. And when he surprises her and says, who touched me? It says she was trembling in fear if you caught that. Why, why was she so fearful? Well, she just put herself in a position to be stoned because she had made the crowd unclean, and Jesus was now unclean because she touched him, at least in Jewish culture. And so when, when, when he says, who touched me? Mark tells a story, and he says, she, she, she told him the whole truth, which sounds like she's fasten up to something. It sounds like, you know, one of your kids finally say, okay, I'm going to tell you the whole truth. I wrote my sister's name who can't write on the bathroom sink. You know, it, she, she told the whole story. And when she told the whole story, she fully expected to be cast out of the crowd, um, ridiculed, ostracized, maybe even killed. But instead, Jesus looks at her and he calls her by a particular name that is absolutely transformational and life-changing and all that stuff put together. He says, daughter. I wonder how long it had been since she'd heard any affectionate terminology in her life. Twelve years, no doubt. Daughter, he said. But now remember, this unclean woman stops them on the journey to Jairus' house, okay? So now all of a sudden, you've got this unclean woman, unimportant unclean woman, ostracized unclean woman, roller of the synagogue on the other hand, waiting on Jesus to come to heal his daughter. And all of a sudden, these messengers come from his house and say, look, um, why bother the teacher any longer? The, the, the child has died. Imagine, imagine what ripped apart in this man's life in those moments. Jesus, you were on your way to my house to lay your hands on my daughter to make her well. And this woman, touched you and you stopped for her maybe that time made all the difference in you getting there jesus though had things under control. see when life happens when, when when stuff gets out of control he still 
is the Lord God Almighty. And he says, hang on, um, we're going to go anyway. So he grabs Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, and they go onto Jairus' house. And they get there, and they hear all this commotion, all this wailing, all this stuff going on, right? Well, what that, that, what that means in their culture was that the louder the wailing, the deeper the grief. They, the, 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 the Jewish culture, they, they would actually pay people to come and grieve. Um, there were people who were professional grievers, if you will. And, and they, they would be paid to come and make all kinds of, of wailing noises and because they, they were trying to communicate the pain of the family. It wasn't you know, as weird of a custom to them as it might sound like to us. But when he, when he gets there and he hears that, obviously these folks know that, that, that the little girl has now died. And so Jesus um, says, no, wait, you know, she's, she's, not, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Because he knew what he was going to do. And they... Isn't it incredible how people laughed at him? Um, every, every now and then, we kind of scoff at what we think Jesus might be able to do or what somebody else might tell us he's done. And so that kind of human nature was rampant in that place. Um, not surprisingly so. Um, death is usually pretty final. He walks in the room. And, and, and he tells the little girl to get up. He does one more thing that makes himself unclean, though. <laughs> he touches her body. He grabs her hand and, and, and touches her body, right? Well, you know what that means. When, when he touches a dead body, he's unclean again. So he, he, he's batting zero here in terms of the Jewish eyes. <laughs> but the little girl gets up. She bolts up, and he tells them, give her something to eat. And then she says, where's my phone? That's what 12-year-old <laughs> girls do. And, 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 and all of a sudden, everybody figures things are back to normal, and, and, and they're, they're rejoicing, and they're celebrating, and, it, and it's a great story. But as, as, you, as you see the story unfold, you see such unlikely things happening. And what, ha what, what happens is because people focused or refocused their heart more on the Jesus in the midst of their circumstances than on their circumstances. So what I, I, I want to just remind you of a couple of things as, 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 as we look at our own lives. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're walking through today. I, I, don't, I don't know what's distracting you. I, I don't know um, what's come along that surprised you. But I do know this. Those things that come along that are unsettling, that are, that are just different, when, when change comes, when, when our plans are derailed, we, we, we tend to focus on the change. We tend to focus on the problem. What I want to do is I, I want to encourage you today because no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter how severe the situation or how minor it might seem to you, if it's distracting you from Jesus, today the very best thing you can do is just... Take a moment and refocus your heart on him. Now, when you hear that word heart, it's not in this text. But biblically, that, that word heart gets used an awful lot. And it's, you know, as Pastor Josh was talking last weekend, it's not that um, organ in our chest that pumps our blood in, in, in the biblical sense of that term. It really is the whole of our being. It's the essence of who we are. And so if we can kind of Return ourselves to the pursuit of Jesus in the midst of all those pieces around us that seem to be out of control. He can bring the control that we need, not for us, but by himself. And, and so what I want to make sure that you see is, 
is a couple things. One of the things I want to make sure that you notice in this text is that when we refocus our hearts, refocusing our hearts on Jesus reminds us that, that nothing is a match for his power. We, we very often find ourselves in situations that um, really communicate to us that we're in over our heads. Anybody ever been over your head sometimes in the, the stuff that life's going on? You ever feel overwhelmed? You ever feel like this is, this is one that, that I can't do myself? But then when you get in one of those spots, your tendency is, if you're anything like me, if you have that SDD going on, what you do is you try to solve it anyway. You try to fix it anyway. But this story reminds us that there, that there is absolutely nothing that is a match for his power. Grief is real. But he's the comforter. Sin is deadly. But he is the forgiver. In this story, there, there is a woman that for 12 years had taken a beating at the hands of everybody around her, including the doctors who tried to heal her. A little girl's laying on her deathbed. Jesus shows up in both cases. And nothing. This, those two pieces remind us that nothing, absolutely nothing, is a match for his power. So refocus, chase him. One of the things that, um, and, I, and I've probably said it from this stage before, like 20 times, <laughs> whatever gets your attention gets you. So refocusing your attention on Jesus, he gets you. And then his power is able to work in your life like not before. Another thing this text really does for us is it reminds us that refocusing our hearts on him helps us realize that, that we, we also, we too, are loved and cherished by him. 12-year-old Jewish girl, an unclean woman. I think it's kind of ironic in that text, though, that both of these situations involve 12 years. I think Jesus, in the story, we need to know that, that no matter if you're the, a family of a high-ranking official or an unclean woman who no one will go near, we all matter to him. He loves us all. One of, the, one of the things that um, sometimes we struggle with is that we really long deep in our hearts to, to kind of feel the, 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 the kind of things that we, we think other people are experiencing in their walk with Jesus. We think they've got it all together, and we, we, we wish we could feel like that. But, you know, sometimes they're probably looking at us thinking the same thing. The fact of the matter is... That walk with him is not out of your reach. That, that, that desire to, to walk in, 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 in faith with him, to, for him to put his hand in yours and you to put your hand in his and for him to do what he's going to do in your life, it's, you're, you're, a, you're a candidate for that. Um, 
no matter what circumstances you face, where you've been, who you are, what you've done. And so refocusing our hearts on him helps us realize that, that we, just like an unclean woman and a 12-year-old girl of a Jewish religious leader, we're loved, we're cherished by him. When we call on him, when we reach out to him, when we focus on him, when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And that's the challenge of this text. Another thing I think is really critical is that, that refocusing our hearts on Jesus gives us hope. He always gets the last word. The 12-year-long illness that this woman faced, all of the emotional pain that she dealt with, the ostracization, the the, the loneliness, the, the shame that she carried all of those 12 years. She found one last place where she could have some hope. One of the great proverbs, it's in the 14th proverb, talks about how the lack of hope makes our hearts sick. You ever, you ever been there? You, you ever been to that place where you feel like nothing's ever, ever going to change? Nothing's ever going to be different? Maybe we want to give up on, our, on ever trying to see our life get better. Maybe we think about somebody else. Listen, he always gets the last word. It's not over till he says it's over. And it's not over because he never quits on us. So refocusing our hearts on him reminds us that there's never a moment, never a moment when we are without hope. And then when we refocus our hearts on him, one of the beautiful things that he does is he gives us the comfort of, of knowing that we never escape his attention. Hey, I got a question for you. Have you ever felt like maybe just this one moment God has just kind of lost track of where you are? You're in one of those dead zones with no cell coverage um, where he just somehow he's lost you. You can't find you. You know, you're, you're maybe in a city where the buildings are tall and all of a sudden your satellite radio doesn't work. And sometimes it feels like where we are in our walk with Jesus because we're in this spot and we've been crying out to him. We've been calling on him, but we're not hearing from him and we're still here and we're going through this mess. And sometimes it does feel like all of a sudden that um, we have got to that point. Maybe we've done something dumb. Maybe we've made some bad choices. Maybe we've created the circumstances that are now the very things that are distracting us. And all of a sudden, we wonder, God, where in the world did you go? Well, J Jairus might have thought the very same thing. Did you forget on your, on your way to heal my daughter? Did you forget that... That that's where you were headed, your, your disciples were there, the crowd was following you, everybody was pumped up, they were, they were waiting to see this great miracle, they wanted to see what you were going to do in the ruler of the synagogue's house, it would have elevated you to this great position in the eyes of people if you would have just come on and done this and you would have got more followers and more followers, did you, did you kind of lose your focus, Jesus, on me? 
maybe it's a question we never put into words, but maybe it's something that we feel and we don't want to say it in words. But what happens to this story reminds us that refocusing our hearts on him always gives us the comfort of knowing that no matter where we are, not only does he see us, not only is he with us, but it's in his nature that he's always at work, even when it doesn't feel like it. That's incredibly comforting for us to know. And then when we refocus our hearts on him, he enables us to find the healing for our deepest pain. I'm thinking especially today about Josh and Emily, family, and how if it wasn't for where Jesus is in their lives, as painful as these times are, the healing of the pain would be so, so elusive. The hope in the situation would, would be so difficult to find. So as they walk through this valley of the shadow of death, as they look to him, he begins the healing process. And you know, maybe the pain that you feel today, the heartache that just kind of is underneath the surface of life for you, maybe it's not grief. Maybe it's the place where you, somebody you love is in their life right now and it's just troubled you so much and it hurts. And maybe there's a broken relationship in your life that has created an unresolvable pain for you. Maybe there's stuff that I can't even imagine that you're going through that nobody else in this room knows about and the pain feels unbearable. I want to point you in this text to a grieving father who found healing. To an unclean woman who found hope. And if those two people can find in Jesus as they focused on him, as they pursued him, and so can you, and so can I. And so, I guess, then I ask one fundamental question, is so what do we do with all this? You know, how, how, how do we manage this? What, what comes next? Um, as I thought about that and thought about that and thought about that, the one word that kept coming back to me was this word, Resign. Maybe in the midst of where we sit today, we should just kind of, in order to refocus, we should resign from being in charge of our own lives. That we should, we should resign from trying to solve our own problems. 
We should resign from trying to heal ourselves. We should resign from trying to, to push aside all the shame that might have been haunting us for years and years and years. We should resign the feeling that, that he doesn't see where we are at the moment. We should resign from all of that and just refocus. Whatever gets your attention gets you. So, how about if together today, maybe in our minds, maybe on a prayer card, we kind of write our resignation letters. Some of you would like to write a real one, wouldn't you? <laughs> but what, what, if, what if we did that together today? We just said, God, I resign from being my own master. I just want to put my, hand, my, my, my life more fully in your arms than I ever have before. I want to focus on you. I want to, I want to chase you. I want to pursue you. I want to walk with you. Because you know what? If you'll run after him, he'll turn around and let you catch him really fast. So in a minute, we're going we're gonna to worship together. and um, I, I want to leave you with something that you can do with that. And, Maybe you just want to go hang out in the prayer alcove and um, just talk to Jesus a little bit about what you're going through. Maybe you want to maybe write a note and stick it in the prayer wall. And if you get it in the wrong slot, it doesn't matter. Um, maybe you want to grab somebody else by the hand and say, come pray with me. I just, I just really want to, I want to refocus right now. It's a great time in my life to to really call attention to Jesus in ways I never have been able to before. Let's, let's not just get a fact or two in our heads and move on about the rest of our Sunday. Um, could, could, could we do that together and just kind of respond to what the Spirit might be saying to us as he nudges us? Sometimes he nudges us really gently, and sometimes he does it really, really boldly. In either case... It's usually best to say, okay, Jesus, I get it. <laughs> I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. Let's pray. Our Father, we really are grateful for these moments as we worship in this place. We're grateful for your word, which amazingly continues to be so relevant to our lives today. We're grateful for your spirit who walks among us as we worship together. We're grateful that you hear our songs as we sing them to you. We're grateful that you hear our words as we speak them to you. And we're grateful that you speak your word to us as we listen to you. And Lord, it's always best if when you speak to our hearts, we respond. And so in these moments, maybe it's just quietly in our seats. Maybe it's where we're standing. Maybe it's in the prayer alcove. Maybe we grab a hand and pray with someone. Maybe we just write a resignation letter and put it in the box. Lord, um, we give you these moments. We invite you, as we've invited the Holy Spirit into this place already. We invite you to have your way in our hearts and minds. And 
your spirits as, as we listen carefully to what it is that you might be saying to each of us. It's in the amazing, precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.